Welcome to the Lion Voice podcast and radio show. I'm your host, Sarah Slickby, and this show, believe it or not, is not about illness, but about stories of hope and healing. I discuss the realities of getting a diagnosis of Lyme disease, finding treatment, and the journey through recovery with authors, advocates, MDs, survivors, and practitioners, with a special emphasis on the complex social and emotional aspects of life with a chronic illness. Together, we address the medical and financial realities that impact households across the globe, while simultaneously finding hope, strategies, and treatment plans. I acknowledge the suck factor of Lyme. It is an immensely heavy topic, but I have chosen time and time again to talk about it with authenticity and optimism in an effort to stay focused on what works and how to overcome. In my experience, and the very fact that you are listening to a podcast about Lyme means there is rarely anything simple about getting a diagnosis, finding effective treatments, or restoring your mind, body, and spirit. It's just complicated. For years now, I've had the experience and privilege of talking with hundreds of patients and practitioners about all aspects of Lyme disease, and I can tell you that healing is possible, people are recovering, and that there is a way through. And that's why I'm so glad you're joining me right now, because from this moment forward, you are no longer alone. Thank you for taking the time and energy to leave a review and subscribing. It means a lot to me to read those reviews. Anytime you find yourself in need of energy, courage, or hope, you can tune into Lime Voice. I'm excited to bring you today's episode. Welcome to Lime Voice Radio, where we talk about all things chronic illness. Lime Voice is brought to you by Invita Medical. Over the last 20 years, Invita Medical Centers, located in Scottsdale, Arizona, has become a proud leader in precision-based chronic Lyme disease testing and treatment. From advanced CLIA-validated next-generation sequence testing for Lyme disease and co-infection identification, to treatment of all primary and secondary co-infections using patient-targeted anti-infectious therapy, immunotherapy, and the elimination of infectious neurotoxins. Invita's highly trained medical team and facilities provide the latest in research-based precision for the treatment of chronic Lyme disease and tick-borne-associated infections, helping to transform patient lives for the better. Call to speak to one of their patient care coordinators today to see if Invita is right for you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Lyme Voice, and I am super excited to be here with Ben Straskowski. Ben, how long have we like known each other and been talking? Is it a year now or not quite a year? Yeah, I want to say a year or so now. Okay. So I have wanted to interview, I think Ben wanted to be on the show the first time he heard it. And then I've wanted to interview Ben since the first time I talked to him (laughs) because he's a dynamic individual and has already had a long journey with Lyme disease and, and just turned 18. So your childhood has been defined by this illness. And I just think you have an incredible sense of tenacity and I'm really happy that you're going to be talking about your story today. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate it. Okay. So give us like a four or five minute interview. You're 18 years old and the amount of information, you know, and the amount of advocating for yourself that I have seen you do in the last year is just off the charts and the you guys listening don't know this but i've talked about ben on air without naming him multiple times already (laughs) in the sense of 
you found line voice and yeah then just you trying called. well i found it just trying to like find an answer to like what's going on and to find to find i guess somebody who's gone through a similar journey that has found some answers it's found like hope or something like that that i can finally relate to Okay. And so why do you tune back into Lime Voice? Like you're such a demographic that like you don't fit my normal demographics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like every single episode is different and it explains almost every aspect of Lyme. Like starting from like one of the biggest things that I've heard you mention is the medical PTSD. That's huge with people with Lyme disease. And then it, it goes from interviewing doctors. And I guess, I mean, I was even called crazy because of the amount of knowledge that I would have towards trying to figure out what was going on. And usually kids are not like that. So, I mean, I just love your show because it explains every single aspect that could be explained. Like it just dives in everywhere. Awesome. I know. I've really enjoyed like hearing your perspective on, on different episodes because it's so unique and it's different and you know you're coming from you're the same age you're where my son Nathan is about a year younger than you and he has Lyme and I have compared you I mean you start listening to Lyme voice and I think we've just done some a couple of brief coaching calls but yeah um, I think due to your personality and who you are you're really coaching yourself (laughs) (laughs) you're just chiming in and like being a voice of support but When I compare what you know and the amount of advocating and the amount of information that you know, even versus my son, Nathan, because in a sense, Nathan doesn't have anywhere near the extreme neurological stuff that you have going on. His situation is very, very different. But because I understand what's going on as the parent, I'm the bridge. I'm like, here, swallow these 14 pills. Like he hasn't, in a sense, had to dive in the way you have you've been doing it a, a lot of it is understanding what you're taking because after after like they would keep handing me pills i would be like why am i taking this like a lot of it's understanding what you're taking and why you're taking it that was the start to me like really understanding what my illness was and then after after i started figuring out what works for my body what triggers my body what flares me this and that I'll, I would even like, as soon as my lab reports would come in from LabCorp, I would sit down and read them for an hour and try and decipher what levels raised, what levels were lowered and what they could possibly like point to. And like some people would look at that, like, why are you trying to do what the doctor's doing? Because the doctor hasn't been doing what they're supposed to be doing for the longest time. So I'm stepping in as a 17 year old and being the doctor and being the advocate for myself and being the person that I need to be in order so that I can get healthy again. Wow. Okay. Take us back. Tell us how long you've been sick and when your journey started, because you and I have talked about this off air, but what's happening. And this has even changed in the last six years since I've been doing line voices. When I was in my thirties, I didn't know anyone in their thirties who couldn't get better. Right. But now it's not people in their thirties. It's people in their twenties and it's kids in their teens. The age of onset is getting very low. Yeah. The age of onset's dropping and the severity of the disease is also dropped. There is also raising, like it's getting way worse for kids. And like, after like my parents would come in and I'd be like, Oh yeah, I heard about this person with this. And like, I was like talking to them and my parents would be like, why are you talking to them about this? Like, that's just like weird. Like after you go through something, you're crowdsourcing at this point, you're trying to find absolutely every bit of information. 
but jumping back. Yeah. So, when did you start getting sick? When I first got sick was my eighth grade year. And I had this teacher that was all about health and all about wellness. And she actually had stage four cancer and she almost died from it. Hmm. Her name was Miss Madigan. She's amazing. And so she kind of like kept me back. She's like, I would purposely like well not purposely like I would get so sick in class and I would have to leave she would understand it and then she would purposely hold me back after school and she could kind of tell that something was going on before anybody else could tell whether it was at home whether it was wherever it was whether it was a physical illness she could tell and so this was my eighth grade year I just got back from a trip from Cancun we were going to New York and then all of a sudden I just started sleeping all the time, left and right, no matter what, like nothing made me better. So this was before I started using medical marijuana. And so I just, my parents thought that I was addicted to drugs because I just, my personality changed almost overnight. I was getting gastrointestinal issues. I was going to the bathroom 10 times a day. And then it receded my freshman year. So mm -hmm. when it got better, I was doing another nonprofit based down in Parkland, Florida. So after the school shooting happened in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, I wanted to help a mom out. Just I don't know what struck me. There was a kid that used to go to the school that was in that school. So I wanted to help. And so during that time, everything kind of receded. But then it came back with a vengeance mm -hmm. and it was exponentially worse. And so I started going to the bathroom i want to say 15 times a day i was scoped three times within two years no crohn's no colitis and then so you're not on antibiotics at this point not anymore no i couldn't stomach them that's why they want to do ivs so no matter what i would take i would get sick so that's why they thought that i had a, a gi issue at play and which of course you did <laughs> yeah but but it's I actually, so I uh, marked down on my last blood panel because I always like had an inclination and I was never really, like, really looked into for celiac. I'm actually positive for one of the celiac genes. And I was, uh, I was um, a positive for one of the other tests. So now we're actually looking into it, which I, again is another thing that the doctor should have been marking off. Mm. So, so going back to Miss Madigan, Miss Ma Madigan, in a sense, she saw something in you. She's like, there's something wrong here. And what did she, that do for you? So she survived cancer. She should have died. Like they, she showed me pictures of the way her face just deteriorated. She like she even said she looked like a skeleton. And so with that, I guess now even with me, I can kind of see other people that are sick before they see it too. And I'm like, hey, is everything like going on? I see this and that like and they're like, this has actually been going on for a long time now, blah, 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 blah. So like. I guess she had like a, after you get sick, you kind of have a sixth sense. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally. Or a sixth sense. <laughs> sixth, sixth sense. Sixth sense, sense. yeah. <laughs> so was she one of the first people then in a sense who validated what was going on in your brain as obviously who you are changed overnight. All of a sudden you're sleeping excessively. And I truly didn't think anything was wrong. I thought that I was just going crazy and I was fine with it. Like I was, I thought I was just changing and I was just get angry and I would black out when I would get angry and it would just be weird. Like, and nobody, 
And when I would get angry, nobody would be able to describe the way that they saw like my eyes or the way that they saw my hands shake. Like it would be like, unlike anything somebody's seen. And I would completely rage. It would be like that. And that was completely unnormal. And then I'd forget. And so that was like the biggest, like, okay, maybe something's like kind of wrong. Cause people don't do that. The joints hurting all the time. That kind of like pointed to it. I was like, this is not a thing that kids go through. Yeah. Like that was, the, that was also the worst. I was just pain 24 seven all day, no matter what. And then I'd be told to get up. I'd be told to do this or do that because I thought that I was faking. Yeah. So you and I have talked about this, but, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to get you on air, but advocating, I felt like I had to fight so hard to advocate for myself outside of what I was being offered because I was being told in a sense like, Oh, okay, well, this is just your new reality adjust to life, or this is your reality after a car accident, or this is, you know, this is the way your body is coping. And there's conventional, I didn't realize that I was going in to conventional doctors and they didn't have answers for me. They were only going to offer me a band-aid. You were going into conventional doctors asking for unconventional methods. And they were of course saying no. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how it was with me. So, well, and I was doing that as an adult, you are doing this through your parents and through your parents' decision-making. So let's talk about that. I just have a ton of admiration for what you've done because it's so confusing and I couldn't articulate it as an adult. Yeah, it's very confusing. So like one of the examples that I've heard widely used that's helped uh, chronic pain with Lyme or just chronic pain in general. And then it kind of like reassured it was after listening to your show when I heard ketamine therapies. Hmm. So that was, that's a big one. And as soon as I heard that, like I dove right into that because I heard it from somebody else who who had epilepsy and some other issues. And so they wanted to do ketamine therapy. And I was like, yeah, I've looked into it too. And we started having a a conversation and then I mentioned it to my parents and they were like, what are you crazy? And I'm like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You were raised in the generation where you never even smoked. Like you were so against me smoking. If you do this in a certain situation with a trained doctor, like it's not just going out to get high. It's going to find a resource to treat your pain. It's an unconventional method because the conventional methods haven't worked. Like if this isn't working, try something different. Like what is there to lose? Yeah, no, you're so right. Okay, uh, let's go back because you, we haven't even talked about, you know, you talking to your parents as a, what, were you 14 or 15 when you asked them to get your medical cannabis card? How old were you? I was, I want to say 16. It was, it was, no, I was 15 because I was just starting to drive. I was 15 because I was just starting to drive. Or I was just learning how to drive. And that was the biggest thing. They were like, if you're going to smoke, you're not driving. So they gave me all these left and right ultimatums. And they thought, of course, that I was going to pick driving. Like they were set on the fact that I was going to pick driving. But what shocked them is the fact that I said I'd rather smoke than be able to drive. Because if I can't feel okay, then how am I supposed to be able to get up and do anything? And they let that stick. They let me get my permit, but they didn't let me drive. They let that stick for months. I it's funny because I was in my 30s and I'm sitting at Outback Steakhouse 
telling my parents, right? I have five kids and I'm in my thirties that I'm going to get my medical cannabis card and, you know, and had been on pain meds for years and years that were not addressing the neurological issues. I mean, my pain levels were so high. It was way worse than giving birth to my kids on a regular basis in my joints and my nervous system. And I was so nervous telling my parents at Outback that I was going to get a cannabis card because I, there are stigmas attached to it. And I didn't even understand, you know, even the year prior that you could use it medically. I didn't understand that either. And that's the biggest thing. Like that was it. Everybody that has not gone through an illness or has not needed something for a medical, like for example, medical cannabis for a medical purpose cannot speak. And and that was from a former recreational user myself as a kid like I didn't think oh interesting exactly and I didn't think medical cannabis was a thing like I thought that everyone was just using it because it was for anxiety it was just it was just like whatever you're using it to get high or whatever and then after it was one day when I started throwing up I threw up I counted 45 times sitting down getting up sitting down getting up 45 times the back of my throat eroded and like there were literally like craters in the back of my throat and of course because i thought that nothing was wrong with me i didn't go to the hospital which was so stupid of me like now that i look back at it like i was and and then my legs stopped working like how stupid am i and so like but at the hospital what would they have done they would have given me an iv and they would have kicked me out yeah still like it it's like a left and right game so at that point i had made gummies a couple days before and like I was just like seeing if it worked for me at this point, like, okay. And so I made gummies and edibles don't even like affect me like that. And I told my brother, like, I was like, I can't move. I need you to go downstairs. I need you to get this plastic bag. Like it was like sealed up. So he couldn't even tell what was in it. And so he brought it up. I ate one and then my legs started working again. Hmm. And it was not an arthritis. This was different than an arthritis. Like literally I could not move. And so at that point I was like, holy crap, medical cannabis is real. I was like, there was no meds. I was on antispasmodics. I was on, I was on neural relaxers. I was on all this other stuff and nothing did the job that one little edible did. Okay. Now I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and did you ever read Allie Hilfiger's book, Bite Me, where she talks about her parents putting her in some type of a institution of some kind and taking her off of cannabis that she'd been using to medicate? That is actually, so I have not read that book, but that's exactly what happened to me. I was institutionalized because I had three suicide attempts and I was looked in my face and I was told by many doctors, they were like, if you took what you told us that you took, you should be dead. I was like, okay. Well, and this is another thing you and I have talked about. This is another thing you and I have talked about off air is that when you do have a neurological issue and you can take drastically high levels to get results that other people are not going to understand. Yep, for sure. And so when I walked in, they were like, you should have died. And I was like, yeah, that was the goal. Like I was so suicidal. I was so angry. I broke my hand in the institution. I broke my hand five times just because like that was what I wanted to feel. And like my hand was so broken that when they scanned it, it was broken in three different places. And that was without 
like any pain meds. Like the fact that I was able to do that just should have raised, that's like what drug addicts do. And so now I can see why my parents kind of compared me to that because that was like some like superhuman stuff. Like that was weird for me to be able to do. And so uh, when I was put into the mental hospital, it was um, Horsham inpatient in um, Horsham, Pennsylvania, just for anybody that's in Philly. Uh, They said that I was entitled. They said that there was nothing wrong with me on the first day, first or second day, because I was this kid coming in saying that I had all these issues. And then there were kids that were dealing with gunshots every day on the streets. And so when I was in there, I was actually really close friends with these kids somehow. Like they, the technicians and everyone were like, these, you're not going to mix. They were all telling me, you better watch your mouth, this and that. I was best friends with those type of kids. And they kind of like understood there was something wrong. They welcomed, they kind of like welcomed me in when like everybody else was kind of pushing me out. So they told me there was nothing wrong with me. I was, I literally had asked to go to the bathroom like every hour because I had to after I was pulled off every med. And then I dropped from 120 to 99 in seven days. Oh, wow. And that's when I knew I was like, okay, I am not, I'm not munching housings. I'm not faking anything. This is real. Hey, let me go back to something you said. You said you broke your hand multiple times yeah. because you wanted to feel the pain. Yeah. And same was- with cuts, cutting. When I was suicidal, it would, it would, that was the only th- that I would be able to feel. And that's when I would black out in anger. Okay. Let me ask you this, because is it that you wanted? I understand the psychology with yeah. cutting that it's a release of some kind. It's there's releases endorphins. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an epidemic of it in, in America. Um, but yeah. do you think you wanted to feel the pain? Okay. Cause you're dealing with so much pain that you didn't understand neurologically, arthritically in your organs, IBS. Do you think you mm-hmm. wanted to feel the pain or did you want to feel pain that made sense to you? That's what it was. I wanted to feel pain that made sense because then I could, I could hit something and it, I would see, I would see the bruising. I would see the impact. I would see that I could still see the broken hand right now. So like, it's like, I can see this. I can see how I can fix it. You Gosh, know what I mean? Ben, that's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating because um, so as soon as you said that, like you wanted to feel the pain before I got diagnosed and I was had already been in bed for two years and was going way downhill and was having all these other issues. And I had a herniated disc, which a lot of people in this community have herniated discs. And I was already at a level 10 pain. And then I had months of, I couldn't, I still have atrophy in my left arm from when I had this herniated disc, because I went in finally after like four weeks to see the surgeon. And he says, Oh, you're young and healthy. You'll be fine. And you'll be fine. And I'm like, I haven't moved my arm in weeks. I'm in excruciating off the chart pain. I can't even describe to you, but it was interesting because as he was talking about, you know, as my surgery and stuff, I told him, I said, whatever is going on in my body, like you fix the herniated disc, whatever is going on is way worse than this herniated disc, which is an off the charts pain. But when I was in the hospital after the surgery, you know, I have, I've got a big scar and stuff here in my neck. I told my parents when they came to visit me that, okay, yes, I'm in a lot of pain, but the pain makes sense to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I could cope with it because it made sense with it to me. I, I was, would, the kids that were in Horsham that were dealing with everyday shootings and stuff like that, I would take off the cast that I was wearing or the brace that I was wearing because they didn't, they didn't want to, they didn't check me. They didn't x-ray me nothing until, um, I want to say a couple days later, they gave me a, a brace with metal in it in a, in a psych ward. Yes. A brace with metal in it. And I would take the brace off to play cards with the kids. And when I would take the brace off, my hand was every shade of black, blue, green, purple, whatever you want to call it. And the bone was sticking out and I would still be able to play cards at the speed that they were playing because I was able to deal with the psychological or I was able to deal with the physical pain of the broken hand. Cause your pain tolerance was so high. Exactly. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Lyme rage and those blackouts now that you're a few years into your journey? What are my thoughts? It's super, it's super destructive. There's no, I don't really know even how to stop it. There's no way to stop it. Really. It just happens. I've seen Lyme rage and I've seen blackout. I've experienced more blackouts than I did Lyme rage. And I don't know if that's just because I had five kids and I had to hold it together. I, I did have a couple episodes, but not really. I had blackouts, but not the rage part, but I've just seen it. I've seen perfectly healthy, functioning, caring teenagers go off the edge with this illness and yeah. just be in massive suicide watch and, and the rage the depression and the rage and the anxiety is, I don't, I've never seen anything like it. Hello, friends. Today's podcast is brought to you by these sponsors. Urbane Medical. Urbane Medical is a boutique ketamine infusion center located in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. They provide a hospitable environment rather than a hospital environment. They're eager to accommodate your family in any way they can during your time of healing. Ketamine can promote a sense of well-being, decreases brain fog and reduces chronic nerve pain. I interview the owner Jonathan in episode 109 for more information. I can attest to what a therapeutic environment they offer at Urbane Medical. And Jonathan Evertson, the owner, makes you feel safe and comfortable and also has some really fantastic playlists available upon request. I have seen with a number of my coaching clients that ketamine is a game changer on a number of levels. So if you are in the Scottsdale area, check out Urbane Medical. All right, now on to the show. That was completely how it was with me. I went like over, it was almost like an overnight change. No, it wasn't. The psychological was overnight, but at the same time, it wasn't. It would happen like that, but then it would also gradually get worse. It was like it would gradually get worse, but there was that one tipping point that would skyrocket absolutely everything else into, into just like hell. So for example, like I had, I got scoped for the first time and then I was coming out of anesthesia and like, I thought my mom brought on panic attack and this was the first or second time I broke my hand. I just went completely crazy. And I, I started punching the stairs, like who punches stairs. And so I broke my hand in like two different places. I went down to the neighborhood pool and then the, the cops were called because like they thought that like something was going on. And so when the cops came, like, I was just like, like, Oh, what? Like, I don't remember this and this. And so I was literally like at the neighborhood pulling bare feet, like with a broken hand, I was like, I need ice. And so 
Then the cops came. They wanted to check my hand. And I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with my hand. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's how it was. And like, I would do everything to like backtrack instead of trying to figure out the solutions to why everything's going on and understanding the triggers. Hmm. Well, when you, I mean, all of us are living we're understanding life as it unfolds. Right. And I remember I got sick at 18 and I just like, Oh, okay, this is what it's like. I guess you can't breathe. And I guess you have more fatigue and cause I'm an adult. And so like, you're trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense anyways. And you have nothing else to compare it to because you're growing up advocating for yourself within our medical system, which is deeply broken. And like you said, conventional, (laughs) but also when what you're doing is not working and you want to try other options and you are negotiating that not just within the medical system, but within your own parents. And so let's talk about advocating for yourself between conventional and unconventional and then pulling yourself either on antibiotics or off of them. Yeah, I was on, well, I kind of couldn't tolerate it, even though I would still take it. I would still keep getting sick and sick and sick throwing up, going to the bathroom. Like it was the point where I'd be biting down on a towel, crying, going to the bathroom. Like it was terrible. And still the doctors were like, well, you got, you kind of have to keep taking it. There's like a scientific reason why we go to IV. And usually people that need IV antibiotics are, uh, what's it called? Basically bedridden. And I was like, well, you can't keep doing this therapy that I'm just, I'm dropping weight left and right because of how much I'm throwing up. Like there's no, this isn't, I'm not going to eventually just keep adapting to it. This is not how you're supposed to live. So the unconventional methods were kind of needed to be used. Like there was absolutely no other option. It's almost like it was like a last resort. Yeah. Okay. So how explain the dynamics of like also going to the doctor, knowing something is very, very wrong and not like your test results not being validating that there's anything wrong or you're within normal range. My test results didn't come back positive until last year. So I was five or six years sick and I just talked to another doc, the doctor that my parents wanted me to talk to. And she thinks I have multiple issues at play, meaning autoimmune. She thinks I could have dysautonomia and all this other stuff. So when you're seeing one doctor that specializes in one field, of course, they're not going to get you the results because they're not looking at every other possibility that it could be. Well, if you treat this this way, you're actually flaring up your other disease. If you have another disease, like and certain people with Lyme complex have those other diseases. Yeah. So it's like a it's a guessing game. How much tenacity does it take to be told repeatedly or you're within normal range, everything's fine, you don't have whatever you think you have, or it's not as severe as you have, how much tenacity does it take to go back into the next appointment? When a doctor's telling you that specializes in a field, like if for the longest time they thought I had Crohn's, like the doctor's telling you that treats Crohn's, that you don't have Crohn's and you have no immune malfunction, like, and you're going up and you're trying to tell them that you're wrong, they're going to be like, who are you? You're not even in this field. Like you don't, you're not even a doctor, like get out of my office. So like, you kind of have to approach it because some of the doctors are very like, they have a high ego because they went to med school. They know it. 
So you kind of have to approach it with a grain of salt and like kind of in some ways make it, make them think it's their idea. Explain this, explain more. Give me an example. With a celiac panel, the celiac panel, like my one doctor, he was like, I don't think you have celiac because you'd be going to the bathroom multiple times a day and it'd be super painful. And I'm like, well, I am going to the bathroom multiple times a day and it is super painful. So you know what? I'm going to mark off the celiac panel on your blood test and they're going to let me do it. So they did. And I was positive for one of the genes and I was, um, I think it was a week positive. I barely ate anything. So of course there's not going to be any like positive gluten proteins in my system because I know a lot of people that had to eat gluten the day before their blood test, like huge amounts in order to even get any result to flare up their blood tests. I did that exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, after it takes so much effort tell a doctor and like there was so much arguing and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting did I say fighting in my household (laughs) whether or not my blood test came back positive or negative and that and my pediatrician was like I think your kid has Munchenhausen's and I was like for a doctor to say that when a kid is trying to struggle and find answers like they should that's ridiculous like I can't believe the doctor would say that I'm sorry that happened Ben because I have information on I mean, he retired, so it's okay. <laughs> I love the fact that you just checked the box yourself. Oh my gosh. I would never have thought of that. What do you mean? Check the, the blood tests? Yeah. Yeah. That, because like I was told at one point in time that that's something that you could do like by a certain nurse. I'm not going to say who, but like I was told like, yeah, you can. And blood test is just a blood test that a doctor orders. Like insurance will still cover it and everything. So check off the box and then it like it's not gonna hurt you it's not like it's not gonna hurt you it can only help and so like for the longest time I was like I just feel like and it also has to do a lot with genetics I'm Eastern European Europeans are a lot with celiac and Crohn's so how would it I never had the celiac panel how's it gonna hurt to check it turns out I'm positive yeah. It's so weird because in a sense, doctors are very willing to run tests and endless lab work, but when it's specialized lab work or it's labs, they don't understand. It's hard to find a practitioner who will even check the box to run the labs if they don't know how to read them. Yeah, for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. If they don't know how to read it, it's like, I've been to AI or chop and they I've, because I've been so sick at points in time and I've brought my labs to them and they've been like, we can't read this. We don't know what to do with it. I'm like, wow, thanks. That's a lot of help. Specialist. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about medical PTSD. Oh, that's a big one. You start. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's just use the recent example that you just shared with me where after these five, six years of being sick, you went to an infectious disease doctor recently who actually acknowledged what was going on yeah and validated you and that was could we use the word shocking to you yeah no we could use the word profoundly shocking there's two words for that one (laughs) profoundly shocking it was astounding actually let's use that one it was astounding because there's never been a doctor that's been like yeah like there's definitely something wrong but like after my dad sent like all the labs and stuff to this lady like okay like I can see where she she'll be like I understand where you think you have issues but you're just a borderline positive like I was just prepared for this lady to be like I've seen lupus I've seen 
life-threatening lupus. I've seen every disease. Like I, that's what I was truly prepared for because that's what I dealt with at CHOP. When they, when I tried to say that I was sick and they threw me in their diagnostics department, rheumatology didn't even take blood from me at mm -hmm. CHOP, the children's hospital. And like, I heard that a lot of people were like good there. A lot of people got diagnosed. Like that was it. And then when they didn't take blood, I was like, what? Like I was kind of taken back. Then they said I had amplified pain and nothing was wrong. And that was like, what set the stone of, I guess, medical PTSD, because like after a doctor's telling you, you're, you don't have any blood levels that are off. Well, you didn't run any like new ones. Like you didn't run any new, uh, what's it called? You didn't run any new protein factors. Like you didn't run any, any new, uh, IGAs, IgGs and IgM immunoglobulin, immunoglobulins. Like, how can you tell me that there's no blood levels coming back when you just didn't run it? And I didn't know that they didn't run it until a year later when I looked back at the records, because when you're first starting out, you don't know what's going on. You kind of have to figure everything out on your own. Wow. That's a really good point. So I didn't know what immunoglobulin was. And now that I see that my immunoglobulin A is in the toilet and my immunoglobulin M is through the roof, obviously now I know that I have an infection or my immune system's weak, but somebody that's just like starting out doesn't know that. No. Or they think if there really is something wrong that the doctor will know or understand or be able to tell them. Finally, a proven and comprehensive Lyme protocol with no antibiotics, no potentially harmful therapies, and no outrageous prices or hidden ongoing costs. Lyme Laser Center uses their unique, technologically advanced laser system and their numerous other supportive technologies to help you gain control of your Lyme disease and overcome the often debilitating effects it has on your body and your life. With a completely free in-house consultation with a Lyme Laser Specialist, it's easy to learn more about the Lyme Laser Protocol and how it can help you overcome your Lyme. Start healing your body naturally. You can hear all the past episodes of Lyme Voice at www.limevoice.com. You can also hear new episodes here on the WGLR radio every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Lime Voice is also available 24 hours a day and seven days a week, wherever you get your podcast from. Give Lime Laser a call today and tell them Lime Voice sent you. Exactly. But if there's uh, with a lot of people, there could be something, there could be multiple things wrong, or there could just be when there's just one thing wrong, it's simple. But in Lyme complex, there's usually multiple things wrong. So when you address one thing, another thing flares up. So there's no real one size fits all. And that that's the most complex part of uh, Lyme. I think what's different about you, Ben, and I've talked to hundreds of people now at this point over the last six years of this podcast is, especially for your age group, I see historically because large percentage, somewhere between 30 and 40% of the coaching people that I do on a regular basis, it's with the caregiver or usually the parent that is yeah. advocating for, especially a kid your age or someone who's completely debilitated. But what I see is that because of their age, because of not knowing what's going on because of being told repeatedly that like, Oh, they just have anxiety or, or they just have inflamed pain levels, which as if the, or it's just depression or it's something that they quit going to the doctor. Yeah. 
I know a lot. Of, I've talked to a lot of people like that too, because they're like, it's just going to drive you crazy figuring out what it is. And I was like, well, I mean, if you don't figure out what it is, then there's going to be no way to treat it. And you're not even going to be able to do anything. So like, it's a double, double-edged sword. How do you talk yourself in to keep going? I just do. I don't think about it. It's something that I have to do. When there's doctors that are saying you have nothing wrong. And then there's other doctors that are saying you do have something wrong. It's kind of like medical or medicine is subjective, depending on what doctor you ask. Like one doctor can see cancer and another doctor could be like, are you crazy? That's not cancer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of just like, it always interests me too. So like every opinion that I hear is always either a different one or it's, it's just, it's a collaborative group. You know what I mean? And there's always, there's either a negative or a positive and no matter what it is, I'm going to take from it. And it's just a learning experience. Hmm. How did you come to that conclusion? After I was thrown in the nut hut. <laughs> yeah. After, well, after you spend some of the time in the darkest moments of your life, just like laying down, just like thinking, where did I go wrong? And then thinking that it wasn't you that went wrong. Like you kind of just have to hear what people have to say and then you take what you want from it because not everyone's going to say what you want to say and not everyone's going to say what you don't want to hear. You said something in one of our initial calls, you said that I just thought was so profound for your age, especially you said when people don't understand, they make preconceived judgments. For sure. Yeah. Especially with the medical cannabis, I feel like 100% with that because like when before it was looked at as like, it was just a, it was a gateway drug. And now your gateway drug is being used by a state program. Like it's the States. Like, I don't think people realize it. It's the state program that is running medical marijuana. Your gateway drug is now saving people's lives. Explain that to me. Preconceived If you know the history of cannabis, you know that it was already doctors were doing research and there was all sorts of stuff coming out in the, I think it was 50s and 60s, 60s, especially before the government came in and said, yeah, no, we're not giving you access. It was, yep. And it was shut down. So then everybody was like, oh, it's just a gateway drug. But then once people started using it to their benefit and it was used to help cure cancer, like Rick Simpson that the oil, Rick Simpson oil, it was named after a man, Rick Simpson, who used it to treat his own skin cancer. Yeah. I did a regiment of Rick Simpson oil for several months. I do. Yeah. I take Rick Simpson oil every here and there because I also have, um, candida. I have gotten thrushed five times within the past year. So like, and obviously like that's only little kids or adults get thrush, like, like older, older people get thrush for a teenager to get thrush five times in a year is obviously pointing to an immune malfunction or an immune issue. Oh yeah. Your gut doctors to not be able to get it. It's just like, how? <laughs> oh, you had thrush five times. Yeah. In I, addition oh, Rick, to, Simpson, oh. Rick Simpson kills thrush so well. I would take like a drop or two of that they would kill it within the next day. It's so good for antibiotics. So good for your gut. Oh my God. Rick Simpson's amazing. The oil's amazing. And the guy, great guy. Yeah. His story's interesting. Okay. So give us an, where do you think you're at on, I know you've been sick for a long time and a third of your life. So it's probably hard to quantify, but where would you say, like, what percentage are you functioning at every day physically? Oh, I would say I'm about it. About what? I, 
I'm at 30% right now. 30%. And I'm still like trying to go out and all this other stuff. Like left and I'm trying to do everything I can, but like right now I'm at like 30% functioning. If I was okay and I like, and I had everything, I would be out all the time. I would be like lifting weights. I'd be doing everything that I could to be healthy because now that I can't. Uh, what are your, what's your pain levels? Like they're pretty high at times, but I can kind of like, I've been able to deal with it. So it's been, it's been at bay recently. So there it's been like a two or three recently, which okay. is, but you're also doing generous. a lot to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. So the more you do to deal with it, the lower it'll go obviously. And you just got to figure out different treatments. Where do you think you're at cognitively? Cause you see, I mean, you're so articulate and I've like looked at medical records with you and like, you know, so much. Um, so my friend is sitting next to me and he just held up a four as soon as you said that. And I was cracking up because like, I'll just ask the same question like 10 times and I'll be like, uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll be like, it's those type of things. And like, or like the other day, this is not one of my proudest moments, but like, I thought it was left on red. Ah, uh, yeah. Like my brain just like, but just I'm like I I have never done this before, and I almost I literally almost got hit, and then I kept going because like, and my my friend was arguing with me. He was like, "Ben, it's not left on right," and I was like, "Yes, it is. Shut up!" Like, like <laughs> we were going at each other. So like for that to be like, yeah, my cut can vary on day to day it varies well and what i'm sensing too is like cognitively you're focused on your world consists of trying to get better trying to get to appointments trying to function and so you can be hyper focused on that and literally forget left on red right on red at the same time exactly literally that's exactly how it goes or like i'll be so focused on trying to like get to a bathroom that i'll i'll go down a one way like it hasn't happened recently but it's happened. Yeah. Like and that's not my proudest moment or anything, but I'll just be like trying to rush so bad. And like, people don't, people don't like get it. It has, it literally has not been like that for knock on wood. Like I want to say six months now, but like once it gets to that level, like people don't understand how bad you really have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, we've talked about struggling to get a diagnosis, but let's talk about what the diagnosis is, diagnosis is that you have had connective connectivity tissue disorder celiac celiac is not officially diagnosed yet okay so we're it's that's in the that's in the pre-stages i definitely have lyme neuroborreliosis that was 100 percent um i'm immune deficient there's like 10 of them (laughs) there's immune deficiency there's uh adrenal insufficiency pituitary insufficiency and then the, the there's PTSD, uh, OCD, major depressive, generalized anxiety. Like there's just like the list of mental ones also like take a toll too. And it's all about like understanding when the mental ones kick in the physical, when the mental affect the physical ailments. Mm, explain that. When you what get, you mean by when that? I get stressed, I flare so bad. Like I start getting sick, I'll throw up. Like, it's so hard to explain. And my parents would be like, well, you just got to keep your stress at bay. And I was like, how am I supposed to keep my stress at bay when like the things that I, that stress me are out of control. So when you try and tackle the illness, but you still have stress, you're not going to be able to tackle the illness at all. 
because you, there's something that's always going to be keeping you back and pushing you back. Hmm. Well, and it's an entirely different level of stress to be like, oh yeah, I need to modify the stress in my life or the chaos versus, okay, my legs don't work this week. Yeah. I had a seizure this week. I was in the ER. Yeah. I mean, these are For sure. things you've experienced. Oh yeah. I haven't had seizures or anything like that, but I've, my legs have definitely stopped working. I've like the brain fog will be bad certain days, worse than others. Like, and it's, it's all like give or take and it'll all be random. Sometimes it'll be affected by weather. When you know it's affected by weather, you can feel it. Like it's, it's also about understanding when what happens and why it happens. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think the fact that you can articulate that is really huge <laughs> because obviously one of the interviews we just did recently, Dr. Brad, he was just talking about how the stress, same thing, your stress levels, your environment, the quality of your relationships, all is going to impact how your immune system is going to function and respond to things. And you're talking about, okay, there's these aspects of basic life and dealing with all the psychological stuff of neuroborealis, like that's a whole different thing. But then beyond that is when your legs are not working, when you have to go to the bathroom 15 times a day, when like, those are stress levels that I think you can't comprehend unless you've been there because it's so absurd. Yeah. Like planning your bath or like planning your everything around a bathroom is just terrible. Like mm -hmm. I, I can, my cousin who had colitis, ulcerative colitis and she almost died from it. She had to plan absolutely everything around a bathroom. And like, I was never like old enough to see what was really going on. But when, she, now that I look back at it and I'm like, holy crap. And her case was like, she would go to the bathroom like 30 times a day and there'd be blood. And like, just even dealing with that, like I, it takes every piece of you to wake up every single day and face the world. Mm. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's a lot. So what would you tell kids in your situation? How do you empower them to wake up and face the day with or without support? It's hard. It's really hard because everybody's different. So like what makes me want to fight could be completely different from what makes somebody else want to fight. Like it's different for everybody. You just got to find what you want to do and what you're passionate about. Like ever since medical marijuana changed my life, I want to study that now. Like, and I want to study the composition and stuff like that. So I guess that's what made me fight for it. And now I'm applying actually at a dispensary up in Pennsylvania, get my foot in the door and hopefully like go up and you know how you can work your way up through Amazon, work my way up through that. So it's all about, figuring out what you love to do. So I literally just had this conversation with a coaching client this week. And one of her goals was to coming out of recovery and treatment was to get back to going to work and her work requires long shifts. And she really wants to get up to doing these 10, 10 hour shifts. And I was like, um, uh, you won't be able to just do it right away. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I'm like, okay. Okay. Like, well, so the thing that we talked about is for her, that's very fulfilling and rewarding for her personality. And one of the things I told her is that I said, 
sometimes you can do those. Sometimes you can go back yeah. to what was fulfilling for you. Sometimes it's going to take a couple, two, three years before you can get back to those levels. But I think a big part of the journey for me has been in figuring out like, okay, what used to be fulfilling isn't attainable for me physically, emotionally, financially, whatever the case may be. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's one of the hardest aspects of this journey is you have to find different ways of fulfillment. Yeah. You have to find like, for me, when I was sick, I would play the piano like that. And that was one of the things that, and that was something small that my, when my fingers would hurt, like that was just like a small little exercise that I could just get used to doing. And I would work my way up to eventually going out. Like I don't even have a job still because of my illness, because it's like day to day, like it's, I door dash here and there, like just to pay for the necessities because like, you don't know when, what day you're going to wake up and it's, you're going to feel like a- absolute garbage, like, and you don't know what day you're going to be fine. But at the same time, like when real life hits, you're not going to know like what days it's going to happen in reality, your boss isn't going to care. Yeah. So you got, I, I'm still finding my ways to work through it and ch- figuring out different coping mechanisms to work through it. You know what I mean? Well, I want to commend you. I hadn't planned on saying this on air, but I mean, I've gotten those text messages from you when you are, are out doing DoorDash and you were a 17 year old kid who's trying to figure out how to pay for the next step in his own treatment program. And DoorDash is a way to work around the day-to-day realities that you have. Like, yeah. You're a phenomenal human being. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You're going to do what you have done for yourself and empowering yourself and not giving up and waking up and facing the day with so much on you. Like what you are going to do for the rest of your life. And when you don't have all of this weighing on you or you figure out how to go around that next obstacle, dude, you're going to be limitless. Thank you. It was funny because one time I'll, I'll conclude here, but you and I were texting back and forth and I had recommended the book by Ryan holiday. The obstacle is the way. Do you remember what you said? The obstacle is the only way. Yeah. Do you remember what you said when I, when we were talking about that book? I think I said the obstacle is the only way or the obstacle is the only way like through or something like that. No, you said the obstacle is the only effing way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That sounds like me. That's definitely me. Which I was just like, oh yeah, you know, cause you can look at the situation and say, you have a lot of situations not working towards your benefit right now. And you can look at it and be like, this sucks. This isn't fair. I'm staying in bed and you're not doing that. You're looking at each obstacle and saying, how do I get around it? Yeah. Well, not every day at least. Okay. Yeah. That's actually very fair. Of course it's not every day. It's yeah. not, it can't be you. Ha- there are days that you have to just chill and yeah. yeah and there are days that I'm just like I need to take a break but it's all about knowing those days and not listening to the people that are like you get over it you're, you're it's just mind over matter but it's not mind over matter yeah yeah what you put in your mind does matter but it's not it's not mind over matter I agree Ben thank you for your time thank you for no being problem. here anytime Sarah thank you so much for having me Thank you for your voice. Oh my gosh. I've just really enjoyed like getting to know you and watch your journey. I love this lime voice. I was thinking of lime laser. I don't know why. I love lime <laughs> voice in this podcast, but sorry, it ties back for lime laser and lime voice. Just keep every time I text you, it's weird, but I love listening to your podcast when I'm 
door dashing or when I have free time because it just is so informative and it provides so many perspectives from so many different people in the world. And I really enjoyed being on your show. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Thank you so much. I'll see you. Hello, friends. Today's podcast is brought to you by these sponsors, Medical Bill Gurus. The experts at Medical Bill Gurus are dedicated to innovative solutions for any medical billing scenario, which we all have in this community. Oh my gosh. With empathy at the forefront of their daily mission, Medical Bill Gurus is dedicated to being in the trenches with patients and raise awareness for the daily challenges facing them. From medical billing errors to raising awareness for their diagnosis, Medical Bill Gurus takes pride in speaking with patients every day and helping them find guidance on how to navigate our broken healthcare system. Their patient advocates are available to help reduce medical bills and assist patients with navigating a dynamic health landscape. I also interviewed Daniel Lynch and founder of Medical Bill Gurus in episode 111. In addition to helping you get money back from your insurance company, if you need help deciphering what health insurance provider to choose, and I have done this several times a year for years now, or you are looking for a clinic that is covered by insurance, they are a great resource for all things related to medical bills, figuring out which insurance provider you could or should have, They're an awesome resource. Again, I use them multiple times a year. Give them a call. All right, now on to the show. This is just my opinion, but I think the best, most authentic, vulnerable, and memorable parts of these interviews unfolds in the fourth quarter. So I am so glad you are still with me. I get messages from so many of you saying that you are listening to Lime Voice when you are implementing daily protocols, driving back and forth from appointments, or detoxing. However you are spending your precious energy, I'm so glad I got to be a part of it. Remember to follow Lime Voice on social media and subscribe and leave a review. This is a common sense and medical disclaimer, people. I am not a doctor or a therapist. I am not an authority on actually treating Lyme disease but I have become adept and skilled at living with it. So take these experiential conversations for what they are, which is practical survival skills in the land of chronic Lyme disease. But for actual medical advice, go to someone with credentials.